Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Salt Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, today's a special one. Today's a special treat heading into the World Series. Yeah, the World Series are upon us. Media Day, boots on the ground, baseballs and boring. We'll be there at Media Day in Arlington, Texas. But while you're waiting for this, while you're waiting for all the news to trickle out from the Rangers, from the Diamondbacks, we got a good one today. It's John Daniels, former president of baseball operations of the Rangers. Obviously left the organization last year, but not before he built the vast majority of what you see with this Rangers team right now. He went on a great run 2005. He was the youngest GM, I think, in the history of professional sports at the time, 28 years old. And he had, like I said, just a great run. Went all the way from 2005, went to the World Series, had plenty of playoff experience, built a good farm system during that run Some from about 2009 to about 2016, top 10. I think nine of the top, nine of those 10 years, top 10 in farm systems. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, he, he has done a lot in the game. He certainly did a lot with these Rangers. And I think it's one guy that a lot of people want to hear from, especially now, considering that the Rangers are where they are. And you're looking at these players and Chris Young deserves a tremendous amount of credit for getting a lot of the pieces, particularly the pitchers to round this thing out and to make this run. But John Daniels also deserves a ton of credit. So we wanted to catch up with him here get his perspective as we say as we you're going to find out we dig deep to what it feels like for John 
and how this dynamic, how this run, how looking from afar of his former team, how's that feels? Because again, like I never gone through that. Not a lot of people have gone through it. So he's very honest and open about that. He gives some great insight about how some of the key players were acquired, how that took place. We love the behind the scenes stuff. And, and yes, right out of the gate, we talk about the Red Sox having interest in interviewing him and why he de- decided not to do that. So there's a lot to pick through. Speaking of a lot to pick through, at BB isn't boring, at BB isn't boring, Twitter account, Instagram account, also fanduel.com slash boring. We just got news that a ton of people are signing up for this, and they should. You know why? Because it's free money on top of free money on top of free money. So there you go. Fanduel.com slash boring. We love Fanduel, and for all that they do do for us, powering us through this season, and the season's almost coming to a close. World Series is upon us. Most exciting time of the year. I think it's going to be a great one. Diamondbacks, Rangers, and I think that there's going to be no podcast out there that kicks it off with a better interview than what you're going to hear right now john daniels all right there's nobody i'd rather talk to at this minute than john daniels nobody <laughs> and if, any, if everyone can see this this is you're you you of all the baseballs and boring podcasts that we've done john you may have one of your best backdrops i'm not even kidding appreciate it i have very very little to do with it my wife uh robin nailed it yeah we did a little home renovation last year and she uh she made it look like i knew what i was doing there is just enough books and just enough photos to not be overbearing. I mean, it's such an art. Yeah, I I've actually read a couple of the books. Not all of them, but I've read a couple of them. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, uh, first of all, like, and I'm going to be, I mean this. Congratulations, um, because, you know, anytime you have su- your hand in success of anything, you deserve congratulations. And I know that it's sort of a weird thing to be looking at the Rangers from you know, whatever distance you're looking at from, but, but I do want to say congratulations. And I guess the the first thing, John, is just, just sort of, this is, what is your guttural feel like now? Like a lot, not a lot of human beings have gone, are, have gone through what you're going through now. Um, It's, it's, it's a, because it's not like they, the Texas Rangers turned over the entire roster. I've said this in print and whatever. I mean, it's it's science. I can go down the roster and say, well, look at eighty percent of the roster is is was on your watch. But before we get into sort of the roster, like just as a human being, what's it like? Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, first of all, thank you for saying that. It's been um, mixed. You know, I've I've watched most games, or some I've kind of you know just for whatever reason haven't been able to watch. But you know, so many of the the people there are not just. They're some of my closest friends in the world, you know, so continue to talk to them throughout the year. And then, you know, obviously I'm with Tampa now. We played them in the first round. That was that was pretty unique. Um, Definitely mixed emotions. I mean, I'm thrilled for my friends. I'm, you know, I'm thrilled for the area. There's an energy around here that's great. Um, You know, it's bittersweet watching from a distance. You know, I'm really happy where where I'm at, both personally and professionally. But it's, you know, you, you put a lot of a lot of effort and years into something kind of to see it through. And, and, um, you know, and then, you know, immediately after I'm, I'm out, obviously they got a chance to, to have a parade here. So, uh, you know, mixed emotions for sure. Um, appreciate, you know, I kind of got some nice text, your, your words, see why I said something awesome the other day. That was, that was cool. But, um, you know, it's, it's something you don't, you can't really prepare for how you're going to handle it, how you're going to, how you're going to feel watching something that you're that close to and you've poured yourself into and, and, uh, and then not be part of it at the end. 
When did does it feel like you thought it would? Obviously, you know you're going through the year, and you're with Tampa, and and you're immersed in that. But out of the corner of your eye, you're probably looking at you know what the Rangers are doing. Certainly, um, did it hit like you thought it would? Oh no, I don't know that I thought what it would feel like. You know, um, it's a. Uh... It's a. I don't know if Philly's going to end up being a therapy session here. I might need to lie down and talk. No, about no, it. I don't. I'm, no, I'm, it, just, no, it's, I'm it's, just honestly uh, like I'm just curious. No, no, I, I, I don't mind it at all. I, it's um, you know, there's a sense of like like genuine happiness and, and joy for my friends, uh, and at the same time, like there's you know there's some you know I don't know. I guess it's probably some level of jealousy that you know they're they're going through it, and you know, kind of in my mind's eye, I would I'd always imagine doing it together. Um, yeah. You know, I think going back to even last summer when, when I got let go, like it wasn't that wasn't the end ending there wasn't necessarily the uh, different from what I wanted. I, I you know we've talked about it a little bit. I was kind of ready to take a a step back personally, uh, professionally, I should say. Um, but you know, I'd always in my thought I would you know stay on and in some capacity and kind of work with the same group and help you know maybe in a similar role as I'm doing now for the race. I think it's probably worked out better personally that it happened this way because it allowed you know I, i've got some distance and I, I really love the the tampa gig um but yeah you, you can't really prepare for the, those emotions that watching you know your friends going through what, three or four celebrations here so if you could be any tree what tree would you be no i'm just kidding this is, <laughs> i'm just joking uh, I, mom, I, want. I, wanted, I wanted to continue the, the inner workings of your mind um so uh like you said you're you're with Tampa now, and I want to. I do want to get to sort of the what you've learned, what you learned, but uh, maybe observations are are a better thing of going through the year. And I also want to get to um, the going through some of like it's, it is fascinating because I don't, haven't done didn't do the exercise until the Rangers really caught steam here of where these guys came from, how you got them, and and it. I, I'm I'm really interested in hearing from you like individual stories. I mean, whether it's Evan Carter, whether it's uh, sports, whether it's whoever it is, you know, like there's interesting stories about how our roster is put together. I want to get the real quick before I forget it. Um, the Red Sox were interested in interviewing you, um, but you chose not to. Can you just take me through that a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sam had reached out to the Rays to, and he and I ended up having a couple conversations. Um, Sam Kennedy. Uh, I'm just, Part of the reason I, I was burned out last year, uh, kind of easily to recognize and admit that. And I knew I needed to take a step back. Um, and I really just enjoyed being at home. Um, you know, I work remote, probably travel about a, a week, a month or so. And I mean, just to boil it down, I'm just, I'm happy right now. I'm happy at home. I, you know, I've got two teenagers and, and, uh, another a daughter that's 11, going to be about to be 12 here. And, you know, I, my, my wife's been a single mom for the first, you know, 16 years of, of of their lives, their whole lives, basically. And so I just, you know, I wanted, I enjoyed being around. I enjoyed being part of it and, and taking some pressure off of, of Robin and just being part of the family again, honestly. And so, you know, there might be a time where I, I want to, you know, dip my toe back in. I don't know. It might not. Um, but, you know, I was really appreciative to even be considered. It just wasn't the right time for me. I mean, it, it shows you. And I know that I was talking to John Middleton about, you know, Thad Levine's situation with the Phillies and he, and he said when Thad backed out of that Phillies position or that opportunity and John Middleton said, listen, if you didn't do that, 
I would think, you know, less of you. Like your family comes absolutely first. And Mm. it's obviously not everybody gets the opportunity to to run an organization. But still, I mean, that's credit. I guess I'm complimenting you. (laughs) You I appreciate it. Listen, there's there's part of my, as Robin says, we met, Robin and I met in Boston and we were 22 years old. And she said, can you imagine 22 year old you saying no to a chance to interview to be the the head of the Red Sox? Like, you know, I'm like, I'd have to probably kick my own ass for for, (laughs) That's a crazy thing to even think about. But yeah, you know, it was the, like you said, it's it's just the right decision for for me and for us right now. All right, so um, I so let's be before we get into sort of the the your year with the Rays and and your view of where baseball's going. I I do want to sort of go through what the Rangers look like right now, um, and I'll start here where you know I think that my opinion is that you have to have foundation guys, and now the, you. The, you you know more than I do. This is like my stupid podcaster reporter slash opinion. But you, you have to have foundation guys. You have to pay for certainty at some point, and then you build around it. Um, you obviously did that with Simeon and Seeger. Um, can you take me through that process when you decided to do that? And if that was sort of the thinking behind it, I don't know if it's that simplistic, but take me through that process of saying these are the guys that we're going to build around. Yeah, I, Rob, I think it is that simple in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we had we started a rebuild really in, in earnest in 2020. Um, you know, there's a good case to be made. We should have started a couple of years earlier. We kind of treaded water, tread water uh, for for a variety of reasons. We just got a new ballpark, and it wasn't you know we didn't want to, or we just got in the vote to approve the new ballpark. It wasn't going to be the right thing. Uh, ownership felt, and we we agreed to to tear it down. And, and coming off of the 16 season where we won, and but it set us back a little bit. And so we we did this kind of um, rebuild and and you know focus on acquiring talent, developing talent, and felt like we were still a year plus away. Whereas a lot of clubs, um, you know, you see the model where they they kind of get there, they get that young core together, and then they add in, the, you know, the kind of finishing pieces. You know, we felt that year's free agency class was really unique um, and felt like, you know, we, we had a chance to accelerate the process by adding some kind of some kind of foundational pieces there uh, and allowing our young players to come up around them and 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 to set that for those guys set that tone and. You know, fellow like Corey was one of the best left-handed hitters in the game. The fact that he also played shortstop was like a bonus. You know, just uh, just a real unique, unique uh, talent. And Marcus, I mean, he just he adds value. You know, every single every single possible way. And um, and so that was real ownership bought in. Um, you know, they they gave us the green light, and and uh, obviously it was unique off season with the lockout coming. We decided to kind of push right before the lockout and, and sign both those guys and and. Um, and it's kind of played out, you know, that way where, you know, we were able to put together a, a pretty good position player club. And then, you know, CY and the guys went out this year, obviously uh, brought in Boach and then, you know, brought in some veteran starters that, that have really made a difference. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different timing wise, but not totally dissimilar from what you've seen, you know, other clubs do where they get that position player nucleus together and then layer in the the veteran pitching to help them get over over the hump. When you when you get those guys, and you probably answer this question, when you get those those guys, especially right before the lockout, like you said, are you like holy mackerel? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, this is these are the, obviously it's a lot of money, but it's a lot of it's a lot of talent, and 
we have the foundation because as I said, I mean, this is, this is the great white whale for a lot of these teams to find guys who, you, for, and never mind, like you said, middle of the, middle of the infield. Holy, you know, that's great. Yeah. But when you get them, you're like, okay, here we go. Let's go. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think that, yes, there was that sentiment. I you know, go back and look at the press conference where we announced them. Like that's kind of how we, how we positioned it. Um, but, you know, I think what what made the difference was who they are individually, right? This was not like, you know, this was not a situation, hey, we, you know, we've kept low payrolls for a bit and, and we're going to go and, and invest in like whoever's going to take it. Like, no, it was like it was Marcus or Corey more or less robust. You know, we, we had there were a couple other guys that we had we'd, we'd messed around with, but I uh, had interest in. But it was those were the two guys. And so. Um, you know, I think that that's, you can, you know, and I think with the way the industry goes, the, the, we all look at kind of, you know, the latest teams to win and how it was built and yeah. you know, Texas there and, you know, Philly, you know, another club that's, that's invested heavily in free agency. And like the reason that it's a, a, a story and the reason people are looking at it is because they invested in the right guys, you know, by and large. And, um, and I'm sure you can go through them and kind of, you know, debate the merits of this guy or that guy, but, you know, the, if you're going to do it, do that, and they're going to be kind of cornerstone players for you, um, not only do they have to be talented, but you want them to model the right, you know, types of behaviors and be the right types of people in the clubhouse too. Cause those are, you know, that's more than anything that, that an organization can say about, you know, what they value on the field or what they value in the clubhouse or what they value as human beings. It's, it's, it's your actions. It's, it's who you actually invest in. It's the type of players that you bring in. That's what that's what people are seeing. That's that's you know it's kind of like you got a model of behavior you want to see, and so we we did a lot of work on those two guys in particular and felt really good about it. And and I think the organization obviously still does. There's a lot of guys that we can go through, you know, in in terms of how you got them. But obviously, Dallas Garcia is a guy. Like I I guess flat out, you know, I just I would, I would be fascinated to, and I know. Listen, good for you. Like you got him, you know. Bad for the Cardinals, it, it happens. Um, but if you can just take me behind the scenes of like how you identify a guy like that, why you go in on a guy like that, and how this guy evolves into the guy he is. Yeah. So, I, first of all, I, it's a, it's a really good story and it's a good point. That, but I think what what comes to my mind is that you got to be both lucky and good uh, with some of those things. And so I, I think that the good part is that, you know, we identified him as, as a, a talent that you don't typically see, you know, DFA'd, um, kind of unique background, Cuban guy, a little bit older going through the process, goes to Japan really briefly, Cardinal sign him coming up in the system. Um, you know, they had so many outfielders. He was a little bit blocked. They needed a 40 man spot. And so we got him for, I think it was for cash. Uh, we had a couple of scouts that, had seen him and, and liked the, you know, the, the, you know, the tools for, for lack of a better word. Um, and, uh, even though he had, you know, a big strikeout rate, that was always kind of the, you know, the question mark there and a little bit older, uh, Ross Fenstermaker, who's the assistant GM there was, was one of several that, that had, had kind of knew him, had some history with him and, and had pushed for him and, and the pro scouting department, a number of guys there liked him. Um, uh, and it was one of those deals where, you know, we weren't, um, you know, we weren't a championship club yet. We had, you know, we had spots to to burn, so to speak. And, um, and he was like, Hey, this is the kind of talent that, you know, the, the upside is such you take a chance on. Now that's the part where we're good. The part where we're lucky is, you know, we ended up taking him off the roster a couple months later that winter, right before spring training. 
uh, for, you know, to clear space for somebody. I think it was for Shelby Miller, but I'm, I don't remember a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, and he cleared waivers. And so we retained him, um, because he hadn't had a prior outright. Uh, and, and then, you know, and, and he killed it that month. Ronald Guzman, I think, uh, busted his knee and playing the outfield and, and Adolis came up and, and never really, you know, went back down. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think that's something that, that clubs that are not, you know, contending clubs can do where you're like, you know what, like this, this guy has big ability. Let's, let's take a shot on him and, and give him, you know, give him reps. Whereas, you know, a, a club that is contending is going to be it's a little tougher to kind of, to roll the dice and give, you know, 500 plate appearances or, you know, a bunch of innings to a guy with big ability, but, you know, you're not quite sure what you're getting when, when you're rebuilding or when you're, you know, you have open spots, you're not quite as good of a team you have a little more opportunity to let that, you know, that, that variance in his ability play out. Well, next thing you know, he's running backwards on home run trots. If you got a guy running backwards on home run trots, you know, you get the right guy. So By the way, I do want to say like, just for people that yeah, you watch him out there. And I mean, this is like, he's a gentle giant. I mean, he is a, just a wonderful, wonderful person. And, you know, and I think, you know, I'm sure Astros fans don't see it that way right now, but like, he's a great dude. Uh, so I'm happy for him. Um, so another another maybe behind the scenes acquisition, and this is I, I know that when you're president of baseball operations or GM, when it comes to the draft, it's it's sort of a lot of times you know you're signing off or you're coming in a little bit later. But Evan Cotter's like, man, like this is a good one. I'm not saying it's a good one. Like, congratulations, obviously he's a good one, but it's a good one. It's first of all that that draft is so weird, you know, the 2020 draft, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was just looking at you know Brandon fought you know fifth fifth round the last round so close to not even you know having to settle for twenty grand. Um, but what take me through like when you heard about or you first remember hearing about Evan Carter, how that pick came about? Yeah, so I, I think the key that you just said is that it's the it's the you know the COVID draft the twenty twenty draft, and so most of the ways that you know, we evaluate players as an industry were kind of thrown out the window, right? I mean, you just had very little information. They didn't, you, know, you didn't have a whole lot of history with guys from, you know, from the season. Uh, you didn't get a lot of, you know, a lot of information, data on guys, you know, got, people were home, not playing. So, you, you know, the makeup information was old and scouts were, it was all off video and zoom calls and, and whatnot. Um, you know, Evans from uh, Eastern Tennessee and uh, and the Rangers pitching coordinator at the time. He's still with the he's with the club in a different role now. Danny Clark is also from that area. And Danny's close friends with with Evans' dad. And so Evan, so DC had tipped off uh, Kip Kip Fags, the Rangers scouting director, and and Kip went in early and loved him and, and just loved him. Now Evans, a guy who's like he prioritized education. He was going to Duke. Like he was not. I don't think this was not somebody who was on the showcase circuit. He did a couple of things, but he wasn't somebody. He wasn't trying. He wasn't at every single you know perfect game event and all that sort of deal. And so he was a little bit off the radar. He wasn't like a physically fully physically mature yet. You see him now. He's still going to add more mass, you know, as he gets older. Uh, and so some of the things that I think typically like you look for didn't didn't jump off the page, but. I think Kip and the rest of the scouting group there, uh, they, they just fell in love with fell in love with the person, and also just like the, the quality of bats and the, and the and the the swing and the offensive profile. Um, 
you know, so I remember, you know, I don't remember the first time I heard about him, but I remember Kip and 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 Jake Krugs from the National guys and and a few of the other guys that they all just raved about him. Like it was like, uh, and I remember early on, I was like, we don't know where we have to take him, but we're, we're taking this guy, you know. And mm. I think there was some thought, you know, could we get him in the third round? And then uh, we'd heard a couple other clubs on uh, my memory serves in Kansas City, Pittsburgh, were, were some of the other clubs we heard rumored on him. And but again, it wasn't too much, but just because of the nature of that season, and teams hadn't seen him. You know, t- you know, he's from a small town and and didn't go to all the showcases and they didn't play a high school season. So, um, and then, you know, that was kind of reflected when we took him there in the, the, the first half of the second round. And, you know, the, the, the people, you know, that are, that are usually really, really good on the industry, you know, the, on the show, on the uh, broadcast that know, you know, they're really locked in. They had no idea who he was. You really? know, most <laughs> yeah. And so he got, you know, the, the pick kind of got panned and I remember ownership was like, well, you know, what are we doing? And <laughs> really? yeah, you know, I, Kip and the guys, they, they, they have a good feel on this one. <laughs> Let's give it time to play out. And I've, you know, and he's, he hasn't, you know, he's had he hasn't had a bad at bat since. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a cool story. Huh? Yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's I like the like like that's so that's the thing. I mean, hey, what are we doing? Nobody's ever heard because you look at look at his Wikipedia page. It's like wasn't in the Baseball America top whatever. You know, wasn't here, wasn't there, and that's why I got to ask the story because you know when you have a guy who's not on the and I know the lists aren't the be all end all, but you know, when you find a guy who not a lot isn't on the people's radar like a lot, and then he does what he's doing, that leads to those type of stories. So no doubt, it was interesting. I think it, you can already start to look back at it now, but I think it's be real interesting to look back in like ten years of that 2020 draft because you know they're they're again it's early to even look at it, but I think that draft is like you know going to go down as like one of the you know, weirder ones just in that there are, there are three or four or five clubs that killed it, you know, that, that had like, you know, it was only five rounds, but that, you know, that signed some like after, after the draft, interesting guys, you could only give them 20 grand. So it was, it was hard. Yeah. To sign. Um, they had extra eligibility, so it made it harder too. Um, and then there's some, you know, clubs at the top that, you know, things and the whole industry had it, you know, a similar way. And, and, you know, it, it hasn't played out quite that way with some of the, you know, consensus picks. So, uh, I'm not sure what it is that we're learning from that, other than you know you actually need to see these players play. <laughs> yeah, the decisions. Well, what's crazy about that too? I don't know how much you guys did it was the recruiting after you know because everyone could only pay twenty grand. And yeah. I remember talking to somebody, and they were like, "Yeah, we were trying to get guys, and uh, Girardi was kept. We kept finding Girardi was making all these <laughs> like yeah. he was calling everybody. Like, so I don't know." <laughs> Yeah. We had nothing else to do. You couldn't do anything. So it was like you had, you had your whole organization. I, I did a couple of Zoom calls with. Uh, it's actually a really interesting prospect with the Rangers, Aiden Curry, and uh, this kid from from New York. And uh, Rangers ended up signing him, and Josh Steffens, another pitcher they signed. And um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think I, I I tell Kip all the time. Like, I don't I don't know if like you know what it means, but like you guys killed it this year. And I think a lot of it is I think he spent so much time on the phone on Zoom. Like really getting to know like targeted players that mm. the kind of the makeup and and the character of these kids and uh, he did a hell of a job. So we could go through you know a lot of situations like that. A lot of these guys, you know, Leclerc and like I said, Swartz and and wh- whoever. Like there's a ton of guys who have these stories. But I'm just interested when you're watching these games or you're following this team. For you, what are some of the more gratifying 
guys who have sort of emerged because you know this because you've gone through this before the world series and you and some guys can perform on the stage in the postseason other guys can't that's one thing that you don't know until you get there but who are some of the guys when you're watching like okay you know that's what i saw in this guy thank and good for him yeah uh it's a great question um i mean one guy that stands out is leody Tavares. um you know signed him as a 16 year old and what 20 it was 2014 or 15 um out of the dominican and you know it's when when guys sign that young it, it's happened to him it's happened i think to other guys like by the time they get there and then they go they're on the 40 man and they kind of you know they're, they're not quite out of options but you know they, they've run through a couple options been up and down a couple times uh you know, there's almost like this prospect fatigue that like the fans get with them. And, and I think the organization gets with them too, you know, and it's, it's so easy to be like, you know, oh, this guy can't, you know, he, he hasn't figured it out. He can't do this. He can't do that. And you look up, you're like, no, this guy's 23 or he's 24, you know, and he's a, let's, let's, let's for me, Laoti is such an example of like, I think sometimes we focus too much on what a guy can't do or hasn't done yet. And we try and we lay, we put a label on him instead of saying, you know what, like, no, this guy can do some interesting things. He, he, he let's let's get he's 24 years old. He's a switch hitting center fielder that can really run it down. He can throw. He cares. He works his butt off. Like, you know, I, I saw Marcus Simeon a couple of weeks ago. I was asking about you know which young players, you know, and he said he goes, hey, Leodi is like, you know, he's he's getting after it. He's you know he's he's following the right. He does he treats himself he take care of himself the right way. And so that's one I'm really happy to see. You know, it's just that. You know, he's getting some of the he, he he claimed the job. He's you know he, he's they don't hit for him late in games. They don't you know he's he's uh, I'm I'm really happy for him. So yeah, it's good, man. Like it's it's the patient and not to be a cliche, but patience paying off and to see that you know it's, you know, that's hard, it, man. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, you, you know you look at like you know Brandon Marsh is this kind of you know a similar thing. You know went through some tough times and and you know gets traded and, and a trade for a good player, another good young player. But here he is with Philly and you know he's having like tremendous at bats and he's you know they're keeping him in against some tough lefties and it's the same kind of thing. It's like they some guys you know burst on the scene and are you know the Evan Carters of the world and and Corbin Carroll and and they don't look back, but. Most players like it, it, the game's hard, and I, and I think you know something we, we get we're kind of quick as as a as an industry sometimes to say how oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, and say no, that, it's pretty impressive what he's doing. So you know, we talked about having foundation guys, and this time of year, and we've done a 15 million podcasts on this, like get on my back, guys, pitchers, the starters, like in the postseason, like let's go, like. I'm going to win today because I'm on the mound. Um, and everybody's looking for those guys. So my question to you is, you know, how hard is it? And this goes back to before the year starts. I'm not talking about being dropped in in the postseason. You'd have to identify these guys before. I remember, you know, we used to talk about Beckett, right? I mean, it was like we all knew that Beckett had this mindset, whether his arm was good or whatever. He had the right mindset. And you've had guys in your previous runs. How difficult is that to find and how much do you want to prioritize that? Because I would imagine that's a tricky one because you have mindset, you have health, you have age, you have all of it, and it has to all come together at the right time. Yeah, man, I, if I had that figured out, I, I don't know, I might, I might bottle it and sell it. I, I don't know. But, you know, again, looking at, at you know the postseason here, like – 
you know, obviously Evaldi has done it now on a, on a couple teams and in, in, uh, in huge spots. And even, you know, he went through a hiccup kind of second half this year and, and looks, you know, he came out in the postseason like it, it never even happened. So, I mean, that, that's a guy that's like kind of tried and, and tested, you know, Montgomery and then, you know, like, like uh, Merrill Kelly's a cool story too, you know, goes overseas and comes back and like, you don't know how, you know, and there's some question mark. Uh, Colby Lewis was kind of the same, you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago when we got him was like, there were a lot of ingredients there, but until you see it on that stage, you don't really know. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it, so it's, you know, I, I think a lot of people, you know, say, Hey, if you've been around guys, you, you could tell, I mean, until like they're, they're really out there and doing it, there, there's always going to be some level of question, but once you find a guy that that's capable of that, man, I mean, it's look that environment that, that Arizona went into in Philadelphia and won those games. That's, that's crazy. I mean, I've never, it's like outside of, you know, international soccer. Like I'm not sure I've ever seen an environment like that before. And like, and to, to handle yourself and to, you know, to, you know, comp- young, young players and compose yourself in that environment. It's kind of, you know, to your point, like, how do you know, like, I'm not sure you truly know until you see him do it. No, and and I was talking to Hazen. Like in Hazen, when he came in the podcast before the series started, he's like, "Man, you know, I, we just couldn't get that other starter. We couldn't get that other starter." And I'm thinking, he's—I mean, he's saying this like on the podcast. So I'm like, yeah. and I had to—I was very nice, and I said, "No, no, Mike, no, it's okay. <laughs> you tried your best." Um, but I'm sure the back of his body is thinking that, well, yeah, you know, I have this talented guy in Brandon Fott, but he's a rookie. And how can we expect him to pitch in a game seven in Philadelphia? Right. You know, well, that, you know so the same kind of thing. 2010, we were in the World Series against the Giants. And, you know, and they had and we were worried about, you know, Lincecum and Kane. And I know by the, you know, they had this rookie with this kind of unique arm slot lefty, but oh, he's just pitching, you know, game three or game four. And it was Madison Bumgarner. Like, you know, like <laughs> at the time, he was just some, you know, he's a rookie. I mean, we were aware of who he was. He was a first round pick, all that. But, you know, and point being, like, you know, we look, could look back in 10 years and talk about Fox the same way that, like, you know, this is kind of his coming out. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I love those stories, man. <laughs> was there a, if you said, having gone through this, heading into a World Series, and you know, I know you still talk to your guys there, like say, hey, listen, you take this for what it is, but this is my advice going into this, having done it before. Uh, get out of the way and let Boach do his thing. Okay. I mean, that's fair. I mean, listen, there's just, at this point, there's nothing you can do, you know, from a front office standpoint, I, I, other than, you know, overreact and make people tense you know don't do that you know, don't do that like but that must be hard like because because you want to help right like sure sure you want to help and so i think you know you're you're trying to like you try i think a lot of what you're doing at that point is it's like logistics and and you know blocking and tackling and making sure that like you know any hurdles are out of the way right you're dealing with the league on anything that, that needs to go on there you got people internally that are handling, you know, the, the players' families, and you want to make sure all that's taken care of so they can focus on what they have to focus on. That the environment's going to be awesome, and you know, a home field advantage. And but you know, for the most part, you know, you, after the trade deadline, outside of like some day to day, you know, stuff, it, you don't have much impact. You know, and it's a, I think it's a hard thing to accept too, and as a front office guy, because you we're used to, you know, having a lot of control, and you just, you got to accept the fact that you don't have much control at that point, and. You know, it, the players and the staff just got to go out and do it. You're, you're, you're a fan. You're a spectator. Where do you stand on, speaking of which, you know, 
and we've done a million podcasts. We just did like three of them, Rich Hill and some other guys about like where, you know, these let, letting a guy go. I, Cause I think this is an interesting conversation, right? Letting a guy go or saying this is where it's going to end. Tori's done a pretty good job of it. Like what he's done has worked out. I think that, you know, when we were talking to Rich, he, he made the point of, and Javi Lopez said this too, said, well, you have guys like Bochi who are securing themselves so they can go with their gut, right? They don't have to be beholden to anything, though they might view this, the analytics. I mean, I, there's, I don't know if there's a right and a wrong, but there is a perspective of it. What's your perspective of it? Um, I mean, I think a lot, a lot of it depends on, you know, the, your alternatives in that situation, right? And there, there would be some, if you have a, a loaded pen and, you know, given the way that we've, you know, developed players and trained players, you know, a lot of times going to that, that pen, uh, for most starters, uh, instead of having them face it the third time, at least, you know, on paper, it's, it's probably the, the better move. Uh, but you don't always have a loaded pen. And, you know, and then there are some starters that, you know, don't have the same kind of penalty the third time through that are, that are just, you know, they're, they're more, they're more able, they're more prepared to, to deal with it. Um, somebody, I, I, I saw a tweet recently that said, you know, the, the third time through the order penalty or starters not facing the third, going the third time through is both. You know, smart and also terrible. Yes, to watch. I, I was, we, we were talking about. I think it was Jared Diamond. Okay, yeah. And I was like, I'm like, yeah, that is that's perfect. Like yeah. it is. It's, you can't deny it's 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 right in a lot of ways. Like the, it, the, we're not making this up. Like there is actually this penalty that, that most you know mortal pitchers face. But as a fan or somebody watching the game, it stinks, right? You want to see those matchups. You yeah, you. Yeah, the starting pitcher is the it's the marquee. It's who you know when the the you buy your tickets. It's who you want to go see, you know. And, and um, so, I, but where do I stand? I think like when you're making those decisions, when you know when when Tory or Boach or these guys are making the, the decisions next week or so, like they're not concerned about anything except like what is my best chance to get the next yeah. nine outs, you know. And you know, a, a lot of times it's going to be making that tough call. I think you said one thing, which I have factored in. I think that pitchers are, aren't are trained to do it like they used to be. In other words, when they get to the third time in the order and they're on the mound, they're like, wait, what? Huh? I'm I'm here? Like, what's going on? Like, yeah. whereas, whereas what I think that before there was – and I, I get it. Like, either you have the pitchers or you don't. Like, if you don't have the bullpen, maybe you go further. But I do think that, like, there is this, this understanding maybe – Hey, you know, if if you pull me third time through the order, I might be upset, but it is what it is, and it happens more times than not. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think it's Pandora's box type topic, right? You talk about this a million different ways, but it's you know, and it's tied to you know velocity development and pitchers' health, and you know, and do they have the weapons of you know third pitches to get through in order you know, another time and. Um, you know, the whole, the rules changes, rule changes and, um, you know, there's a million college development. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of all connected and, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, the way that the game is right now and the way that, you know, the, the rules are set up and we're developing pitchers to, you know, we're not telling pitchers to, to throttle back and kind of, you know, save bolts for later. No, it's, I want your absolute best from, you know, pitch one until you're, until you're done. You know, with with that type of development and all those other things factored in, I, I think we're going to continue to have that discussion. 
The last thing, I appreciate your time, is the last thing is sort of like you said, this year, maybe it dovetails with what we were just talking about. You have this year, you have a different perspective for the first time in your professional life, right? Another organization, um, yeah. a, a unique organization. And um, you take now you can take a look back of, okay, you know, I, this was interesting. I'm not even going to say I learned something, but this was interesting. Like, like anything that that made you interested that maybe you didn't see coming when you went to the race. Yeah, so I, um, I mean, several things, but the one really stands out. I mean, I, I think everybody kind of thinks about the race in terms of kind of innovation and you know utilizing information and. Um, and, and all, you know, obviously the opener, the shift, and you know a million other other things over the years, um, and so I kind of had that in my mind. Obviously, knew some of those guys. Went into to meet with them last fall, and my observation then, it's still you know probably my biggest takeaway now is just like the commitment from top to bottom and how to treat people is unlike anything I've I've personally seen, and I felt like we were pretty good about that with with texas but um and it, and it really it starts with ownership man and i, and I just you know I, so i think it's like how to treat people um al- it allows for people to feel you know kind of um intellectually and emotionally secure to try things be willing to fail a little bit um it, it creates this culture where you know people want to be there they want to win they want to find ways to do it uh, and just this alignment from like ownership, upper level management, all the way through the organization. I think everybody says that, you know, and everybody says, no, we're, we're, we're on the same page and we're aligned and we're going to be, you know, you know, we want, we have this long-term vision and we want to be patient with, with our people. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think there are many examples, you know, where it actually happens, you know, and, um, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers, I don't know, you know I'm sure you, we can come up with some that like, you know, <laughs> jump off the page that, that, that seemed like, that seemed like pretty unique, you know, but, um, that that's what's really stood out here. I mean, it's just this like this uh, commitment to treating people in, in a certain way and getting the best out of them and just being patient with people. It's it's really impressive. Well, I, I appreciate you treating this podcast in only the best way. So thank you. Only the best. Uh, man. Is there is there anything that I missed? Anything? I, oh, a lot of things, man. Uh, I know there is. No, uh, I appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, it's always good catching up. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.